from Red Bull. This is Beyond the Ordinary. Hello, my name's Nick Bright, and on this episode of Beyond the Ordinary, we're bringing you an article from RedBull.com that follows the story of Ben Richardson, an ordinary guy with an extraordinary job. A former pro surfer, Richardson was nominated for Wave of the Year in 2014 for a huge ride at Shipstern Bluff, Tasmania, one of the most challenging waves in the world. However, his pro career was short. He was a surfer before social media was huge and not many organized mainstream competitions existed. So he shifted his career focus. He took to diving for abalone, otherwise known as mollusks off the shores of Tasmania, regularly underwater for up to four hours at a time. But he's coming back to once again take on the famous wave at Red Bull Cape Fear, a seasonal event that will pit 23 of Australia's finest slab surfers against some of the most intense waves imaginable. Richardson is one of the locals invited to join the competition. This is his story. But first, remember, if you want more stories from Beyond the Ordinary, make sure you follow us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The phrase, catch a wave, probably pulls up visions and vibes of warm, sunny Southern California sometime in the 60s. The twang of classic surf guitar, the smell of sunscreen. Shipstern's Bluff is exactly not that. It's about as far away from California as it gets. 12,796 kilometers as the crow flies. But for surfers, it might as well be on another planet. If you're there, it's because there's a big swell, which means it's well overhead. Literal tons of water looking to smash you down into a coral reef. It's not a wave that you catch... It's a wave that catches you. Even if you're fanatic about pro surfing, there's a good chance you've never heard of Ben Richardson. The Tasmanian's pro career was short and, well, happened a long time ago, as in before Instagram. But there's a good chance you've seen his picture. In 2014, a photographer caught him flying off the ledge of one of the world's most famous mutant waves. That's a wave that throws up a ledge, mid-line, forcing riders to airdrop back into a ride in which they're probably already holding on for dear life. That wave was Shipstern Bluff, and thanks to the picture, his ride was nominated for Wave of the Year. That crazy, massive mutant slab wave? It fires sometimes a couple times a year, and sometimes just every couple years. And it will be the location for the next Red Bull Cape Fear. An important thing to understand, Cape Fear isn't a geographical place. It's a feeling you get. When you're about to slide under the lip of a wave that's basically a mountain of water, moving at a speed fast enough to wreck a car. Ben Richardson talks us through it. I don't know, for me down there, it's it's, there's probably like in stages of the wave, so when you let go of the rope or paddling into the rope, it's like, or paddling into the wave, it's just basically, it's going to suck, it's going to suck. And then once you get over the hard part of the wave, you can kind of just sit back and enjoy it, whether you're going to make it or not, basically not thinking about anything except for that minute and trying to get to, like, the end of the wave and just taking whatever's, your, whatever's around you. 
feels feels pretty nice actually. This unique surf competition only happens when the waves arrive, and it's one of the few where you can choose to paddle in or tow in. How good you make it look is up for the judges to decide. Normally, an international cadre of full-time big wave surfers is on the invite list, but this year, travel restrictions mean the competition is going to be a little bit more local. Ben's dad still lives where Ben grew up, in Port Arthur, Tasmania. It's about a one-hour drive from Shipstern Bluff. Ben lives across the bay in Clifton Beach. Everyone there knows Ben Richardson's dad by his nickname, Sticky. It's short for Sticky Beak, down under slang for an inquisitive person, or less politely, a nosy busybody. He asks a lot of questions. The two Richardsons work beside each other. They've been doing that for the last 15 years. In the way that sons are different from their fathers, the younger Richardson does not have many questions. And indeed, he's not always forthcoming with answers. In the first 10 minutes of our talk, he warned me, I might have to pry the answers out of him. Much like the way he grabs a hold of an abalone shell, slides a knife between the mollusk and the rock, and pulls somebody's future dinner off the ocean floor. It's an odd job, but somebody's got to do it. The two men are used to being on the water together. In some ways, not much has changed from when Ben was 10 years old. When the waves were good, he'd get pulled out of school to go surf with his pop, and as he started getting noticed and doing more competitions, his dad hauled him around to all the local contests, proudly playing the part of soccer mom for the surf scene, helping Ben navigate the standard career path for any young Grom hoping to make it into the magazines or get a sponsorship. He picked up a Quicksilver deal and finished up school, skipping university for the world-wandering life of a young surf pro. Because after all, what 17-year-old wouldn't make that choice? I think my career earnings was about a total of 500 euros. Such was his response when I asked him if he ever thought he'd be the next Kelly Slater. The one day you're on the wave, one day you're off world of professional surfing didn't set Richardson up for a long ride, something he was okay with. He did it for a few years, then just kind of rode off the shoulder. And when the travel and fun quit paying for itself, he quietly returned to life as a waterman on the southwest coast of Tasmania. Sticky started in commercial fishing when Ben was a young boy, first as a deckhand and eventually working his way up to become an abalone diver. Abalone are not maybe so well known as their smaller cousin, the clam. But the once widely available shellfish has been feeding humans for about 10,000 years. If you're thinking of bare-chested swimming through tropical waters, think again. They're abundant in colder parts of the world, waters between 6 to 12 degrees Celsius, and are considered a culinary delicacy. In some places where commercial harvesting isn't allowed, a single abalone, about 20 centimeters in length, can fetch close to 100 bucks in the black market. In Tasmania, where Ben lives, it's not such a lucrative business. Diving for abalone is just an everyday job, and Ben and his dad do it together, spending their days on an 18-foot-long open skiff with a Yamaha engine hanging off the back. If you get taken for a two-wave hold-down at Shipstern Bluff, you could be underwater for a minute and a half. 
maybe two minutes. When Ben's underwater for work, he can be down there for four hours. That's literally four hours without coming up to the surface. Instead of diving with tanks on their back, they've got an umbilical cord stretching back to the boat, providing continuous oxygen. They aren't deep, often between 10 to 15 meters below the surface, but constantly coming back up and diving back down is riskier for their blood oxygen levels than simply staying down, so that's what they do. If you've spent enough time around world-class extreme athletes, you'll notice they often fall into one of two categories. Hyper, hyper-focused, and full of nervous energy, or incredibly calm and introspective, despite the fact that they frequently put themselves in situations with serious consequences. Whether it's from his peculiar line of work or from a lifetime of chasing waves, Richardson's approach to going for a ride in big wave washing machines has become almost zen. I've spent a fair bit of time underwater, but I guess it's always been in a pretty controlled sort of situation where you get air and um, you can see what's going on, whereas if you're getting held down, you sort of generally can't really see too much and you're just basically the ocean's whim. I don't know, I still, I still feel comfortable underwater and I, I never really sort of, not too many situations I've been in where I've actually been quite panicked and stressed myself out in that situation. Not even when there's a double-headed dragon of a wave to deal with. Remember that picture we mentioned at the beginning? There's video, and you can find it on YouTube. The clip starts with Ben, mid-drop and triple overhead, maybe quadruple overhead shippies. Whatever. It's big. As the wave begins to explode behind him and a vertical wall of water forms in front of him, most people watching would just whisper under their breath, holy shit. But then just as he begins his bottom turn, the infamous second ledge pushes up beneath his board, lifting him over the trough of the wave. Meaning to make the wave, he's basically got to just kind of skate off it. It's the kind of clip that makes anyone who has surfed big waves gulp. Just a couple millimeters off balance, and it's wave over, game over. That wave you're mentioning, that was probably my highlight. That was probably one of the best waves that I've personally, or the most challenging and rewarding waves I've had out there. If I had to describe a wave, one singular wave... But um, no, definitely the steps, you can never rely on it being there and you can never rely on it not being there. Like, it's always changing. You can never really predict it, the different swells change it, you know, things like that, tides change it. So it's, it's probably one of the cool things about the wave, I think, like not having not having any predictability about it. You're just basically at the whim of whim of the wave. Kind of, you see it coming. It, it's, it, it starts to, if it's really going to step, you can see it while you're still in the half out the wave. You can see it, everything happening in front of you. And you, you sort of, you're set, set for a bit of a ride. But, um, so you kind of just brace yourself and deal, deal with deal with it how you, the best you can. But there's just so much water, especially on a bigger day. There's just so much water drawing up the wave. It feels like you never 
never going to get to the bottom of the wave to actually pull up into it. The step. It's the one single feature that makes Shipstern Bluff one of the most famous and dangerous waves in the world. Some waves break predictably, some waves don't. But a wave with a ledge is another thing entirely. For non-surfers, it's like another second wave within the wave. An incredible challenge and an easy way to wipe out. It's only in the last few years that big wave surfing really reached mass popularity. Prior to that, there was just so few people really doing it. The best waves were kept undercover, relatively unknown beyond the local area, and mostly surfed by a few surfers who had the local knowledge to know when it was actually rideable. Surfing big waves is unique, even within surfing. Surfing is grabbing a board and hitting a sandy beach. Big wave surfing is going to battle. There's so many factors to consider, so much preparation to do, so much effort just to get there, and then major consequences if you screw it up. The big wave surfing business isn't like the regular pro contest surfing business. Waves are by their very nature unpredictable as to when they'll come, and while big waves are more predictable, they also come much more seldomly, and they're often a lot harder to reach, requiring a boat, or a long walk, or even a long swim to get to. That meant that many big wave locations stayed relatively undercover for years. And when Ben's pro surf career started back in 2002, big wave surfing wasn't really what it is today. It's almost as if Ben was there too soon. The World Surf League's Big Wave Tour kicked off in 2010, a few years after Ben had moved on from competitive surfing. And to be honest, the scarcity of rideable, contestable big wave days made it tough to turn into a career for all but the luckiest of surfers. It was actually this unique set of conditions that gave rise to contests like Red Bull Cape Fear. Running a big wave contest is a risky endeavor, and not because someone might wipe out on a 50-foot-high wall of water. It's a risk because once you give it the green light, a lot of people spend a lot of money, and the conditions might not materialize. Modern forecasting can pretty much guarantee when big waves are on the way and time to mobilize for a contest almost anywhere in the world. In fact, that ability has been a key factor in the growth of big wave surfing in the last decade. But it's still incredibly difficult to predict the wind and weather conditions that make the difference between a contest that's sloppy victory at sea conditions or peeling perfect caverns from a light offshore breeze. Any of the local boys can win, says Ben. The rivalry between big wave surfers is not really bitter. At the end of the day, you're all out there battling the ocean as much as you are each other. So naturally, there's a camaraderie of sorts. But that's not to say there isn't a little bit of pride at stake. 2021's contest can't include competitors from around the globe. People like last year's winner Nathan Florence would have to undergo a two-week quarantine upon flying into Australia. And while big wave contests aren't usually on the calendar two weeks in advance, they happen when the waves come. That means this year, there's two teams. The Tazis from Tasmania and Interstate. That's how the Tazis, like Ben, refer to guys from mainland Australia. Guys like Mick Fanning or Russell Birka, the predictable favorites to win the event. You don't even have to ask to realize Ben doesn't really care if he wins or loses. 
it's not a make-it-or-break-it thing for him, although the drops into the waves might be. His approach to the contest is likely to reflect his approach to life. Roll with the waves that come in. It's impossible to know what the contest will throw at them. In fact, it's almost impossible to know when or even if the contest will get called on at all. It takes a massive low pressure system in a rather particular place about 1200 nautical miles away. That low pressure, often marked by a deep purple or pink blob on a swell chart, needs to pump out swell in the 2.5 to 3 meter range at a period of 13 to 15 seconds. Only that very perfect swell combined with a forecast of light offshore winds at the wave itself means the contest gets a go. And when it does, all eyes in the surfing world will be on Shipstern Bluff. On a busy day in nice weather, the little 18-foot boat named Madness might sit low in the water with close to a thousand pounds of abalone on board, all picked off the sea floor, dug out from the kelp, wrenched away from the rock. Ben is allergic to them. He can't eat a single bite. Just, just abalone. I never used to be allergic to them. I tried once and I was like, oh, that sucks. I get like sort of mild asthma. From the tone of his voice, it's easy to tell he is completely not bothered by it. It's just the way it is, taking the wave as it comes. When his pro-surf career quit paying the bills, he moved on. Now, in 2021, he may have to do the same with abalone diving. To control overfishing, the government sets a quota. Divers can only harvest so many kilograms of catch per year. Ben understands can take an abalone eight years to reach a harvestable size. And even if he's careful about what he grabs, others may not be. If the population is wiped out, it may never come back. He and his dad still run the boat. For now, Sticky does most of the diving. Ben mostly stays topside. So like a surfer looking for the next wave, he's moved on. As our chat ended, well after 9 p.m. local time on a weekday night, he didn't say goodnight. He went to hit the books. He's studying to become a marine engineer, letting him work on the bigger boats and earn money by spending time on the sea. He has a wife and a small child, and surfing big waves isn't how he wants to pay the bills, at least long term. Maybe if there are more big waves in Australia. There's an interesting thing about most big wave spots, and one of the reasons so many stayed so under the radar for so long. They need deep water to work, so if there's not a massive swell, there's kind of nothing there. Flat, like a pancake, lake whatever. And when Red Bull Cave Fear is over, it'll be lake whatever once again. The surfers will go home and return to their jobs as teachers, firefighters, or lifeguards. Ben will keep fishing, occasionally diving, but more often, studying and getting ready for that next wave of his life. But unlike the other surfers, Shipstern Bluff will be in his backyard. And the next time it's firing, he's out there, contest or not. Because once you're a big wave surfer, it's not what you do, it's part of who you are. 
This article from RedBull.com was written by Josh Sampiero. When the conditions are just right and the event starts, you can watch Ben Richardson and the rest of the field take on Shipstern Bluff live on RedBull.tv or the RedBull TV app.